0: Let's open with a shocking fact. It's becoming more and more clear that an individual's zip code is a better indicator of their health status and life expectancy than their genetic code. Is that shocking or what? In fact, there is as much as a 20-year difference in life expectancy depending on the zip code where a person lives. This is because the zip code often defines the social determinants of health in that specific geographic area. So in this podcast, we're going to cover social determinants of health. I didn't train with that topic, but joining me to discuss how important SDHS, social determinants of health, actually is, is none other than Dr. Rob Carpenter. Howdy, everybody. Wow. This should be shocking and sad
1: to you (laughs) and all of your friends at the same time. Why this matters, especially for us here at COM, well, the reality of it is one of the missions of the College of Medicine or focuses is population health. One of the ways to improve population health is to better understand and assist with social determinants of health. So that is the focus of this session, and it's something incredibly important for us to talk about. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, medical students rarely were taught about the intersection of socioeconomics and environmental effects on access to health care and maintenance of health, but... It is something we now need to talk about.
0: Yeah, for sure. And major governing bodies within medical education have recently heightened the emphasis on social factors in the medical college admission test. You know what that is? That's the MCAT, <laughs> and even the Liaison Committee on Medical Education, that's LCME, and even the Graduate Medical Education Standards have now called for increased attention on this topic for cultural competency and understanding the underserved populations within the context of healthcare disparities. Those are key words, right? Yeah, there, absolutely, Doc. healthcare disparities in order to become a clinically proficient physician. I'm telling you, we didn't learn this in medical school. Not at all. But according to LCME, for example, that's objective 7.6. So these things matter to our credentialing societies and it's guiding how we treat medical students and educate them. Many medical schools do not have a required curriculum for the social determinants of health and finding an efficient and effective method to teach students this cultural competency can become really difficult and it's challenging. So this is exactly why we have included it in this novel new course and we also have the focus and the drive and the vision of AMC to meet that challenge and we're ready to do that. What else can you tell us, R-O-C?
1: You know, according to the CDC, Social Determinants of Health, or SDOHs, mm-hmm. are the conditions on which people were born, grow, live, work, and age that shape their health. Social determinants of health include factors like socioeconomic status, education, neighborhoods like you were talking about with regards to uh, their actual zip code, and physical environment, their employment, and social support networks, as well as access to healthcare in a regular fashion. Addressing social determinants of health is important for improving health and reducing long-standing disparities in health and healthcare. You have to think about how in the age of COVID-19 and how this pandemic has actually opened up and revealed a lot of those
0: factors. Ooh, so on a side note, so Dr. Carpenter and I, we, we did this little interview on this, this national platform called ReachMD. And, you know, when you see on the news, you got to take everything with a grain of salt, right? The news is and this is very encouraging. Wow. You know, it, vaccinations are up against COVID. Absolutely. That's fantastic. But if you look at the numbers, it's it's those vaccinations are up for who? Yeah. It's not everyone. So African-Americans predominantly and Hispanics are lagging in that because maybe that message of vaccination and safety right information, Doc, it's not getting to them.
1: Absolutely. And it's a matter of mm-hmm. not only trust when you look at it, but the impact of diseases like obesity, hypertension, diabetes, and even things like cancer or an infectious disease like COVID has a greater degree of impact, including mortality on these populations. So this is real world, ladies and gentlemen, and it's something that you're going to be impacting and hopefully infecting change about for the rest of your career.
0: That's good. So resources that enhance quality of life can have a significant influence on population health outcomes. So examples of these resources include safe and affordable housing. Think about it. What if your house has a bunch of mold?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right? And you don't
0: have resources to fix it. No, absolutely. So it, again, guys, it's one thing, and i, I got to be honest, it's very humbling uh, to know, look, when it's so easy for us, we, we write a prescription or we put it in the EMR, and we just assume it's going to get filled. What if they don't have any money to fill it?
1: Absolutely, so or no are, car to uh, be able no get to go to the pharmacy. Yeah.
0: these are this is real world, guys. So we've got to pay attention to this. I'm glad we're talking about this now. Even availability of healthy foods and local access to emergency care or even clinics. Some zip codes don't have clinics.
1: Absolutely. You know, an awareness and ways to improve social determinants of health or a key focus across medical specialties, surgery, gynecology, yeah. pediatrics and the like. The American Medical Association also has a free online ed- education module, yeah. Health Disparities, Social Determinants of Health, yeah. which is one of six modules the AMA Education Hub recently released as part of the Health Systems Science Learning Series.
0: That's good. Now, there is an internal sickness of medicine that we got to address. Uh, here we go. Now, here's what's rough, guys. Okay, we're going to talk about some touchy-feely stuff because nobody likes to talk about it, but it's real. And i got to be honest, I-, I actually fought this. A a, a long time. Really, like medicine is better than that, Uh, right? that you get personal, no, no, no. We're we're healthcare providers. Not us. You know what? Right. It's not us. That's somebody else's problem. You know what, guys? Let's be honest. Everybody brings to the table. I don't care what you call yourself, what race or what color you call yourself. We all have some implicit biases that we have to realize. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about some of this stuff. Here we go, guys. There's a good place here to bring up the ugly truth, and that's this issue of implicit bias in medicine. It's okay to have them, we just have to realize them and stop suppressing and saying that we don't.
1: Absolutely. All right,
0: it's a good reality check, guys. Here we go. It's easy to look at external factors that are barriers to a patient receiving quality care, right? Like, oh, financial ability, that's outside of us, or transportation, or healthcare provider availability. But implicit bias is more uncomfortable because that's not an internal focus. We got to look at ourselves. All right, guys, we're going to talk about some stuff here. Get ready. Often an overlooked issue is how our own internal perceptions of the world or others affects how we take care of others. And that's how we get into things like institutional racism. It starts with what? Absolutely. So let's talk about that a little bit more.
1: You know, it's heartbreaking to believe, Mm. but racial biases do persist within providers and the medical system as a whole. Often missing from today's discourse is the fact that individuals and communities interacting with the healthcare system are subjected to disparities of treatment at the hands of clinicians. And this has to change. We especially are looking at the changes in the social structure of the United States in the wake of the pandemic, and more particularly, yeah. the call, the very appropriate call for social change across our country. Right. Acknowledging that interactions within the healthcare system can drive poor outcomes is no easy task yeah. and by far amenable to point solutions. Yeah. Start over again. That's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Acknowledging that interactions within the healthcare system can drive poor outcomes is no easy task right. and far less amenable to point solutions alone. Yeah. But it starts here with platforms like this Good. to educate and better train future healthcare providers so they will have those conversations. Curriculum designers should include bias training in medical, nursing, and other allied health schools, as well as in hospitals and delivery systems on a regular basis. All clinicians and personnel interacting with patients should receive this training so that they are better attuned to the biases that they hold and equipped with skills and tactics to address them and to mitigate the impact
0: that they hold. Oh boy, so now here's something that's very, very close to my neck of the woods. Here we go, yeah. OBGYN, the medical press has made this point with particular attention on disparities in maternal and child health that have led to persistent and devastating outcomes for black women and their babies. This is also the case with the ongoing COVID pandemic. The medical community is having to handle head on the impact of bias and racism and discrimination in and out of healthcare system, noting, for example, that black women in the highest education, income and wealth groups have worse outcomes than white women on the lowest end of the economic spectrum. Now, let's say that a little bit differently, Dr. Dr. Carpenter, because think about that. So highest economic strata for African-American women have the have worse outcomes than the poorest white woman.
1: Really hard to be able to just explain that away, isn't it? When you look at it, it even goes above and beyond just the individual impact. You're talking about families that perhaps lose their mom, lose their wife, lose their child, but it's also an impact on the society and those individual cultural groups across the board because it gets back to the idea of trust. I'm a general surgeon and bariatric surgeon by training. We already know that uh, African-American and Latino women are more likely to suffer obesity than any other demographic compared. What you have to then look at is that increases their risk for negative outcomes. And you overlay something else that just tips that balance a little bit more like a global pandemic with a coronavirus. Mm. And we start seeing that those impacts can be additive. The medical literature too demonstrates that racial and ethnic minorities and women are subject to less accurate diagnosis, curtailed treatment options, yeah. less pain management, less effective yeah. pain management, and worse, clinical outcomes in the end. This is true even within the four walls of the healthcare system that we all aspire to when external factors would not be expected to play a major role within our hospitals, our clinics, or our care settings.
0: Alright guys, so we're talking about social determinants of health, and remember, it's very easy. There are internal barriers to good healthcare, things like implicit bias, and then there's external social determinants of health that can be barriers to healthcare. So let's dive into some of these external factors here in a little bit more detail. Okay? So this is something that all medical students and practicing healthcare professionals should be aware of. According to the AMA, while genetics are responsible for about 30% 30% of a person's health outcome. That's three, zero, 30%. Research shows five social and economic factors that have big influence too. So ROC tells about those, so that's important. Genetics is one thing, but listen to these five factors that can really determine your overall, well, life expectancy.
1: So one, economic stability, and we're gonna talk about each of these, yeah. but education is the second. Health and access to healthcare what the community that you live in, and more particularly down to the granular level, what's your neighborhood like?
0: All right, so economic stability, things like poverty and housing stability, food security. Now I I learned this term called the food desert. Absolutely. I didn't know that existed. So these terms are things that we're not starting to educate ourselves on, and that's good because patients would better for it. For centuries, there has been a strong link between poverty, of course, and poor health outcomes. Also, the unemployment rate affects domestic violence and depression and physical illness and substance abuse. What about education?
1: Well, when you look at it, whether a person has graduated from high school or obtained a higher degree, Access to quality early childhood education and literacy also affect health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Understanding a patient's literacy level can help you present information in a way that they can not only understand, but process and then utilize to make a decision that's well informed for them.
0: Remember, we're talking about external factors here. So we've covered economic stability and we've covered education. And then third is health insurance or health overall health insurance coverage, health literacy and access to healthcare care uh, uh, locations like offices or clinics are all vital external factors that can affect a person's overall health care. For example, low health literacy may make it difficult to navigate the healthcare care system, resulting in worse outcomes and higher costs.
1: And that feeds directly into what our next external factor is, which is community. Mm. If you've got someone who can be an advocate for you or that can come along with you and make those helpful decisions, help you to understand and remember the things that are important, it's it's amazing how much of a difference it can make. Civic participation, workplace uh, conditions, incarceration, and cohesion within a community can have immense impact. For example, social cohesion has been shown to result in lower mortality rates. So having friends, having family, and having people that are advocates for you and for your family as well.
0: You know what, man, this is a good point. So this is why, look, I don't know how much of a loner you call yourself. We weren't meant to be alone.
1: No, absolutely. So humans
0: are social animals. And I think that's one thing that the pandemic has actually shown. This whole time of isolation, what has happened to the rates of depression and anxiety?
1: Well, oh, they've absolutely gone up. We've been amazed, yeah. in fact, that the rates of suicide have not paralleled that. We think that's because of the fact that communities do have internal structure. And there is some degree of connectivity using uh, the technology that we have. But the and... reality of it is loneliness could also fit directly into these categories. Yeah. And we now know that not just in the elderly, but in the young people, especially in the age of COVID, mm. an individual social network or lack thereof has high, is highly tied to health outcomes. For example, lonely or socially isolated seniors are at twice the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease and over three times more likely to suffer from depression.
0: Now, is that, now we got to stop there for a minute. Now, is that wild or what? So if you have a loved one, really, and they're elderly and they're kind of isolated, you need to check on those folks.
1: Absolutely. This is some
0: real issues. That's incredible. Twice the risk of developing Alzheimer's. So remember, outside of genetics. Yep. So social determinants of health, look how it impacts somebody's health. And of course, next is the neighborhood. This broad category covers housing, transportation, access to healthy foods, access to green space, safe neighborhoods, uh, quality air and quality water. All of these things are big factors that go into a person's overall health. Now, there's two other important social determinants of health that are not in the top five, but they're still super important. Tell us about those, R.O.C. You
1: know, I would also add that especially in the state of Texas, language barrier. Oh, yeah. Now, this isn't just a matter of whether or not English is your primary or secondary language, it's also the way that we communicate within that language. If you as a provider are using all types of acronyms or shorthand or anything else that's there, the patient oftentimes will sit there and nod because they don't want to feel stupid. They don't want to make you feel bad for them not necessarily understanding. The reality of it is you're not communicating with them even if you're speaking exactly the same language. We often forget or assume that all our instructions that we give to our patients will be understood. And while this may fit under a broader context of education already discussed, language barriers and our failure to communicate effectively within the boundaries of what our patients are looking for can be a real detriment to healthcare. Mm,
0: That's a big deal. So again, outside of those top five, we can add language and tied to that, of course, is things like education and the patient's level of education. We start telling them about their, their essential hypertension, their effect on renal status, I don't even know what the heck that means. Sometimes myself. So we got to break it down (laughs) to a patient level. Another potential barrier can be lack of awareness regarding LGBTQ health-related care and that's another barrier for that population. So I believe most, if not all, medical specialties are being more proactive incorporating these social and emotional and psychological and evidence-based recommendations regarding this population so that's good. And also this gets into population health because we start with the community. And then it goes out to a little broader. And that's really how we improve overall our population. Tell us about that.
1: Absolutely. Nationally, there's awareness that we need to tackle social determinants of health. But the best strategy to do that has not been uniformly identified. It may even be that there is not a uniform analysis because we have different states, different cultures, and different subsets in which we need to be able to be culturally aware of what it means to be healthy in that particular area. Thankfully, certain models have already begun to emerge as effective, or at least feasible and scalable from which we can draw. As more healthcare organizations forge community relationships, they are building programs that look at things like food security, affordable housing access, and medical transportation barriers so our patients can actually get to us where we communicate with them.
0: Mm, That's good. Additionally, insurance companies, medical schools, and community leaders are working together more and more to address these issues in a team Based approach. Now, although social determinants of health projects must be community specific and informed by a comprehensive community healthcare care assessment, these social issues have emerged as common and one with variable solutions. So remember, there is no one size fits all. We have to tailor it to the specific patient population. So here's a good plan of attack.
1: According to a recent article in Managed healthcare from July of 2018, addressing social determinants of health can be a challenge, but challenges can be overcome yeah. with perseverance and teamwork. Yeah. They outline three key steps as a structured plan for attack. Step one, the first step is to stop looking at people as their disease or diagnosis. Wow. How often do you actually hear someone talk about that diabetic or that obese person, as opposed to someone who suffers from genetic predisposition to diabetes.
0: Can I say something? Yeah. My goodness, I feel bad. So I just finished call guys this morning at 8 a.m. when we we're taping this, and I, I at one o'clock this morning, I called our nurse's station and said, hey, how's our preeclamptic innate?
1: Absolutely. Uh. And it's something that even though we are culturally aware, even though we are compassionate and that we really do care about what we do, it's very easy. We are scientists in the end, but medicine isn't just science medicine is an art and it Mm. is service. And we have to think about ways to, again, find our own implicit bias and then be able to draw back onto that to be able to provide uh, the next step. People are complex. They cannot be so easily summarized or placed on a box. Instead, we must take into account the whole person, every aspect of them. This includes not only their condition, but also their environment, right? In the end, social determinants of health are not illnesses with tested treatments like cancer, diabetes, or asthma. Social determinants of health are an untold number of circumstances surrounding the people. The circumstances and how they are faced will vary from person to person. And in fact, those things can directly impact whether or not that genetic predisposition that we talked about earlier actually even comes to the forefront.
0: And this is step two in our plan of attack, how we're going to make this better. And this is what we're doing right now. Step two is this podcast. There you go. It's having these community and these educational conversationals about social determinants of health and incorporating the subject in medical education. And again, we're doing that right now. And the final step. The third step is one that we should all be working on every single day
1: it's concentrating on the individuals again focusing back to our patient not as a disease but as a person with multifaceted think of them as a gem how to make their lives better and doing that through collaboration and coordination with a team looking at individuals in a person-centered way the whole person the family and not just a diagnosis or a disease
0: so here it is guys we really are called to a great career absolutely service but remember one of the best ways to take care of our patients is to meet them where they're at and this is why social determinants of care just taking that literally it's 60 seconds one minute just to just ask them that basic question uh where do you live tell me about your area tell me about your neighborhood that little thing that help you connect not only opens up your empathy but just makes you a better doctor so this is Dr. Hector Choppa and Dr. Rob Carpenter. And we have been talking about social determinants of health or practice of medicine. Gig em, y'all. See you next time.